Hello, welcome to tonight's episode. Tonight we are going over We the People, using governments at your table and using them in your stories. Uh, we're joined by a fantastic guest and she speaks for herself. So, hope you guys enjoy. Hello, welcome to tonight's session. Don't mind us, we're only a few minutes late because I started the stream all funky. Um, we're joined here with Anna... Uh, Chippe? Chippu? Chippa. Yep. Chippa. I was close. Dang it. Uh, anyway. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> All right. So uh, we already had her pretty much go through her entire speech once. So we're going to hear it one more time because uh, I done goofed. I apologize. Please uh, fill us in on who you are, where we can find you, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No problem at all. So my name is Anna Chippa. I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. I now live in Dallas, Texas in the United States. So for those who are international, I'm in the United States. Um, but I work as a stress and burnout coach. So I help high achievers and business owners at the end of their rope uh, regain balance, find connection, and relieve stress so that they can show up for not only work and their loved ones, but then they also can uh, make time for themselves first. So I also work as a career transitions coach. So helping people, you know, resume, LinkedIn, cover letter, you know, that whole gamut uh, to help them find a job that they love, that they um, that they're really good at in terms of skills, but then also pays them what they're worth. So uh, two little different lines of business. I do have a 16 week meant for more program. So really focusing on, you know, how to get clarity and where your stress or burnout or any sort of negative cycles may be coming from, as well as getting the confidence through self limit by tackling, excuse me, self limiting beliefs. And then from there, building a commitment or a game plan for uh, building healthy routines and habits. So to find out more about what I do, I would love for you to schedule a call with me, book a call, and you could do that by going on my website, which is www.summersolstice.coach.com. So summersolstice.coach.com. Also, feel free to check out my Facebook group. It's called the Soothing Stress Collective. You get a little bit of a flavor of what I do, do a lot of mind, body, spirit, wellness, and connection. So focusing on work-life balance, time management, how to have healthy communication and boundaries, uh, all the good stuff, all the goodies. So those are two places where you can find me and would love to just connect with you and see how I can help and serve and all that kind of stuff. So that's a little bit about me. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, we'll yeah. probably talk about that a little bit more. Uh, to re rehash, our subject tonight is We the People. Uh, we're talking about all kinds of government stuff at the table and the stories you tell, stuff like that. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to get started on what, firsthand, what we're defining with this topic all by itself. So what are we talking about tonight? Uh, also, Younger, not that I don't mind looking at your handsome beard, but that's like all we're getting. If you could tilt the camera up a little bit, if you're going to be on screen. You I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying not to make my, uh, my phone just collapse underneath me. Uh, it'd be like that. I understand. Um, so, uh, with that, we're kind of going to go over the different options and, like, uh, what would be good scenarios and when it's appropriate to throw these kind of things at the table. Because uh, one of the advantages we get with TTRPGs is the freedom to test ideas in a safe environment, right? Uh, so if you wanted to play in a world that was hypothetically uh, whatever kind of utopia you are trying to uh, achieve or get to, uh, you could put it in your TTRPG, have a race that is run by those rules, by those standards, 
to its fullest potential, right? And again, it's all thought experiments. We don't know how things are going to run out some of the time. Uh, but TTRPGs give us an ability to try an unlimited amount of combinations and ideas to do so. Um, so, uh, first things first, what do you generally consider a fantastical or a fantasy-based government that you would use in your stories? I'm going to start with uh, Younger here. Well, if we're going to get real basic and real real, simple, real, um, real simple, started off easy. Okay. So you starting off on like, oh, you encounter uh, tribals off on your journey, like trudging through the deserts or like through a forested area, you know, whether it be like a nomadic druid tribe or an orc, um, an orc nomadic tribe or like a group of goblins work like like fighting between two different settlements of goblin kin you know um things of that that's easy and or uh the basic fantasy like oh there's a kingdom there's a monarchy there's a king he's in charge of stuff or a queen she's in charge of stuff um whether it be of like a small kingdom or it be an entire empire spending many independent like semi-independent states like you could imagine like ancient greece Right. Okay. So, I mean, but what would what would you if you had to pin one for what is used the most in fantasy? What would you what would you pick? I would say monarchy. Okay. Monarchy. For so, sure. fo- focusing on that system of government, what is that by definition or by your definition? I'm gonna I'm gonna switch to our guest here. What do you what do you consider a monarchy? Me? Yeah, you. You're you're a guest. Younger is just some guy that goes up there. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not as familiar with like, um, you know, the different, you know, systems and things that are used for, um, you know, uh, gaming and everything like that. So I don't know. I I would almost turn it back to you guys. (laughs) No, no, look at history. You can look at real history. Oh gosh. Um, yeah, I would, I don't even know. I feel like. Again, I, I would just turn it back to I'll you guys. I'll turn it back to you. I'll okay. grab it. Uh, we're going to go back to uh, the, the greatest spanning empire, um, arguably. It's arguably. You know, you can just you can, you can can choose whoever side you want. I'm just saying the sun never fed on the British Empire for a period of time. Um, and that was at one point before they had a parliamentary system, you know, and had a form of... Uh, like constitute i think they're labeled now as a constitutional monarch because they have like a parliamentary system and all this stuff but like it used to just be like the queen or the king was in charge and they were like hey do that thing um there's oftentimes religious aspects that were also intertwined with the governments um and that spreads to even as far as how our governance system was set up in the united states was uh is pretty similar to that of what you can see within like the Roman Catholic church. Right. Uh, now transitioning those thoughts into TTRPG elements, right? Uh, what are some really positive things that you can pull out r- running a monarchy in your stories and games? I have some ideas, but I'm going to, I'm going to let you guys throw it out there first. Like what are some pros some to pros. it? Let's hear some pros. Okay. Pros. Um, if you have a, uh, it establishes very early on within the campaign setting that there is one big head guy in charge and that um, what he says kind of sort of goes. And so you probably shouldn't do things uh, to upset that balance Uh, because like, you know, if you're going to suffer legal repercussions, it's going to be under 
under the crown, you know, uh, under his highness's royal authority and decree and such. And so uh, you would want to stay in his good graces. Okay. I mean, that, that's that's uh, pretty simple. There's a head guy in charge. You don't have to worry about a whole bunch of underlings that you can piss off. If you keep good on the king, you're good to go, right? Um, I would also say for storytelling purposes, it really makes it easy to have a leader of factions, right? A king or ki queen is a really easy figurehead to be like, this is this is team one, this is team two, right? Um, it also lets you as a GMDM dictate rules to the players that they have to follow via some kind of controlled person that's in the way, right? It's not just some law of the uh, law of some yahoos enforcing things. It's the king's rules or whatever. So it's ingrained in your players to follow those rules. So they don't get in trouble kind of thing. And that goes from anything from like uh, taxes to how often you're allowed to kill people, things like that, uh, which is all established in the types of governmental systems that we're throwing in there. Uh, we talked about some positives now, and I'm going to I'm going to check with you. Do you have any other positives that a monarchy might uh, pose for storytelling? Uh, well, positive is that overwhelmingly yeah. like Young, uh, younger is your name, Anne. Oh, my bad. Maybe. No, you're OK. You're OK. Um. Well, I think from like a storytelling perspective and then even from um, <clears throat> just a ruling perspective as well, sometimes like when you're dealing with like a group of people, right, um, is that sometimes they need some sort of direction to look to. So if they have, you know, multiple people leading, they're like, I, and based on their different styles of leadership also, it's like, okay, who do I follow? Why do I follow them? And things like that. So like an oligarchy, right? It's like where a small group of people are actually leading and forming as opposed to a monarchy where it's just like one person. So you can actually build trust in that person um, to have some sort of leadership style. And from a storytelling perspective, that you know ruler, if you will, will have a lot of direction and actually impact on you know what that story could look like and things like that. Now, I, I like that you use the word trust, right? Because a story, mm -hmm. especially when you're focusing on dealing directly with the king or queen, uh, builds mm -hmm. a lot of trust between those characters, right? And that mm -hmm. falls also into one of the major cons is they can break that trust immediately by getting yeah. angry. Yeah. There is no safeguard to a ruler's wrath. And so to kind of convert yeah. over to the con side of things, what are some other cons that uh, playing with a monarchical government in your systems brings out? I wouldn't necessarily say it's a con, but it could be viewed as a con. Is um, I, I think it provides the perfect opportunity for a uh, tyrannical leader, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. tyrannical overlord. You know, like the big bad guy is actually the IRS. Um, <laughs> this is a joke. Like Don't Hitler. do more. Um, right. I feel like it's Hitler, like in terms of like a bad leader, right? Like he wasn't necessarily yeah, in like a governmental exactly. position, right? But um, or even um, like Pablo Escobar, like in Colombia, right? Like where he was trying to fight for a position, and it was very like, although he was trying to serve the people, there was a lot of there was a lot of underlying um, undertones that could be very tyrannical. So, I want to pop in there too for you? Okay, no, those, those are all good. Any anything else that you can think of that might be bad having a king or queen be your uh, governmental head? Um, part of it like. Uh... If you have it just be solely a monarch, so we're talking specifically monarchy, not like, or, or just all forms of government. No, no, specifically monarchy. We'll get to the other forms. Okay, specifically monarchy. If you do monarchy at its like core element, like there's just one ruler, there's like, there's no cabinet, there's no 
parliamentary. There's there's no president or nothing. It's just that one guy. That one guy has all of the power. So all of the everything good that happens can technically could uh, pot, potentially be blamed on him if it is his fault for the policies he's in place, and or anything good that happens can be his fault. You know, based off the policies that he in places. Um, those laws, since they're taken so seriously, they can be uh, perceived as like like this is the absolute, and people might just follow those rules without like asking the king because nobody's going to ask the king if like, oh, is that really what you meant? Because nobody wants to look stupid or get beheaded. Hey, you know, emperor's clothes and all that. Um, the other thing that uh, I think is a negative con that actually plays out in the stories quite regularly is when the king or king is assassinated and they don't have a real heir, right? The amount of chaos that that can cause uh, almost instantaneously uh, is a crazy ripple effect through most stories, right? Even if it's... Yeah, because uh, monarchies are, are predominantly, uh, like, unless they are, like, taken over by another regime, essentially, um, they are generally, like, hereditary. So, like, the king would pass down his lineage to the next one, much like a dynasty in an alternate form of governance. So on and so forth. So if that was to suddenly be, like, cut off, that would be, um, yeah, that would that would have a lot of major complications within that entire system. They'll have to find a new form of government or somebody to replace their, uh, their leader. Which might be an issue if their monarch is also perceived potentially as as a deity, right? Um, I mean, that's a, that's a very which I good think point. that might be that, I, that might be the difference between a um, between a monarchy and a uh, the other one I mentioned earlier. I can't remember what it's called. Dynasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because dynasties or empires are generally uh, based on divine revelations at some point. You know what I mean, where they pop in and are like, hey. This guy is related to a god. He's been given divine authority. Listen to him. Um, so, on that note, so while we're speaking about divine authority issued by a god, uh, I work, I, I tank for wizards, uh, also known as Lawrence, is over here, and he's talking about uh, feudalism, which is another one that is used quite often in fantasy settings. Yeah, that one's actually medieval. <laughs> Literally medieval. Feudalism. That was- one's literal medieval. I'm talking about what they show on TV. <laughs> uh, but feudalism, can we get a quick definition of what that is, or at least a basic understanding of what that is before we talk about it a little bit more? Simple, um, simple terms. Slow words. <laughs> trying to... Uh, if you got it, I got it. I got you covered. I don't, so, I don't got it. I'm so head, feudalism no. is a dispersion of land given by a king, emperor, leader of the state, right? Uh, who technically owns everything, and he divides that amongst his lords, right? Uh, in medieval Europe, it was knights. Uh, in Japan, it was the samurai and daimyo and all those fun guys uh, that, you know, broke their land up into smaller, smaller segments. But in all, everything goes back to the imperial head, right? Uh, the feudal lord, whatever you want to call him. Uh, and has a caste place in play, in implanted, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that helps run the hierarchy of everything. So everyone knows their place and where they're at in the feudalism system. And very rarely can you break out of your caste. So you have your below peasants, peasants, uh, you know, rich merchanty types. Uh, Then you'll have like your base level lords, the lords above the lords, and then your emperor kind of thing. Generally, 
we'll put in quotations here, uh, how it goes with feudalism. Now, relating that to stories that we have the basic thing, we're going to get through the same questions again. What are some pros of feudalistic style stories that you can tell? Okay. I think I can hit off on a decent point. Um, well, since there is that echelon, those levels of like, you go from like peasantry to knights to nobles to the king, um, it kind of like leaves like if you you guys are a bunch of nobodies, you know, it kind of leads you into like, oh, well, maybe you have to break through those levels into increase like your status. Like, oh, yeah, you were a peasant, but you picked up a sword. You, you fought the right bad guys at the right times. You were recognized by an order of knights, joined said order of knights to bring good, good thoughts across to a noble who decided to take an eye interest in you because he's like, oh, these guys might have some potential. Maybe I can gain some further influence with the king if I have them under my reign. Ha ha ha. <laughs> you know? Or maybe you're part of a of a coup and you're gonna overthrow the king and you didn't realize it until you're halfway through the campaign. Um and you're already buddy buddies with this guy and the king's a tyrant. So Okay. You'll become the new nobles. Hey, that's that's the best. These are all storytelling right? elements, not necessarily um these are just things that could happen, not not things that will. <laughs> And any, anything to add to that one? I think that covered that pretty well. Yeah, I, I was going to say, and again, this is outside of, um, you know, just like from a storytelling perspective, but I think also, you know, one of the things that it does provide is some stability and structure, right? Like there is, you know, uh, each of the different levels and whatnot, but then also because there is kind of this trade of goods and services, it's also kind of like what we were talking before or what I was mentioning before in terms of building personal relationships, kind of establishing that sense of loyalty, trust, etc. because there is that constant exchange and just kind of that expectation, if you will, of the social statuses and whatnot. I think that covers that really well. Um, so we talked about the pros, right? Structure, uh, you know, which way is up and which way is down, but what is some cons? What are some really easy cons that you guys can think of that might help and that will drive stories because stories are driven by negative events. Yeah. If we're going to go into this, it's, it's kind of hard to like say any other way than just being like, you know, like sometimes people who are of lower classes are treated worse by people of higher classes. Okay. That's yeah. the easiest way to say that. I think. Uh, is there any any others that you guys can think of? I have one that uh, gets brought up quite a bit, actually. Um, people who are really poor need to make money, and so you can go and blame it on all the peasants. Okay. So go steal and smuggle goods between other towns, other nobles, other knights, you know, thieving organizations, whatever. It's generally not going to be the the nobles who are getting their hands dirty directly. So if you want to go and learn of some scummy things, you're not going to go to the guy who's dressed in a nice coat unless you're a bureaucrat. You're going to go to the the guy you find uh, who looks a little bit sketchy in the alley for your next fix. So with that, there's actually two ones that you hit on. The first one being the bureaucrats, right? Because all the feudalism has uh, bureaucrats that funnel and keep track of the taxes because rarely do the lords and ladies do their own taxes, quote unquote. Um, and since they generally delegate that task to an official bureaucrat, those people become corrupt, relatively simple, and they make for great stories of finding the corruption or figuring out what things have gone wrong. Uh, the other side of it is the vying for power amongst lords of the same level, because they all want to get to that next step up. 
uh, the infighting amongst them is ridiculous because they are all separated, right? And as long as they pay taxes to whoever's higher than them, the one people you know that are on their level are fair game. As long as the taxes are paid, the people above don't care 99% of the time. Um, and that's something that, uh, as a con, is like the, the lack of caring, as long as standards are met, can, can really be diffused really well through storytelling. Um, okay, so we've talked we talked about feudalism, we've talked about monarchies. Um, there's a couple others that were used, again, medieval time frame wise. Uh, and you brought one up almost uh, immediately was tribalism. Um, this yes. is a, this is another fantasy setting that gets seen a lot. Um, and tribalism is literally towns, villages, things like that, uh, where they are that one group, that small unit has some kind of small leader. Uh, that runs around and they defend an area that is theirs, whether it be their original homeland, their cave in a rock, whatever, right? Their spot is theirs and anyone who comes into it is getting goofed up. Generally, not always, but generally. Yeah, it's uh, like it, generally like tribalism, I think if you're going to go for like a real term, like I, I don't know if it's fitting, but I think like despotism. Mm. Uh, That's a four letter word. Sorry, four four dollar word. I meant four dollar word. No, like maybe four dollar. It's like definitely not four letter. You need to go back to school. Um, but like I think like technically like just like almost in, in within tribalism you could have different elements. Like you could technically have a true monarchy following one guy in a tribe. Correct. You could have so um, the, the biggest or it the... can be run around a political structure. Like they there might be a group of shamans which would technically fall under that of a republic. Or it can be completely dem democratic tribal. Um, it's just how so, you want to. Tribal is more of like a size uh, not, rather than a government. Not really, actually. The the In more of a political context, it's meant for people that have a relatively discriminatory behavior towards outgroups uh, and in group loyalty, right? So you can actually mm -hmm. have this cover a whole bunch of other political spectrum y fun stuff. Uh, but it's literally like if they are defending a spot and anyone who isn't from the spot isn't their people, that's tribalism. Gotcha, uh, gotcha, We gotcha. see this a lot in uh, when we're, when stories are being told. You see this a lot in the various races of like D&D, &D, right? You'll always see goblins as a tribalism, just tribalistic society uh, defending their stuff and things. Very rarely, de again, depending on the world. You know, everyone's worlds are different. Uh, but generally, they are depicted as tribalistic creatures that, like, they're smart enough, they can do things, but they don't like outside people. They might have their own king, queen, whatever, but if you are not a goblin or from, you know, their area, they're not going to accept you and they fight you out kind of thing. And that's what that's what tribalism, generally in storytelling, uh, leans towards, right? It's that extreme, if you're not one of us, you're against us styles. Um, now, and I think also... I was gonna say, I think also with tribalism, I think there is like the positive to it of like being able to create the sense of unity or the sense of like preserving kind of this um, group of people, right? And when you think about it, like from a business standpoint, um, I always say like, okay, this is kind of like creating your identity and kind of creating your brand uh, with a group of people and whatnot. So I think that could be, again, there are really good positives to it in terms of having the sense of belonging and community and culture and brand, you know, but then of course there are some negatives to it as well. So. Right. I, th I think, it, I think you hit the nail on the head. The positives of tribalism is that togetherness, the inward loyalty. Yeah. Um, and the yeah. negatives are again, for again, classically tribalism leads to just killing off everyone who's not in the in group. 
Uh, but that mm-hmm. doesn't always have to be the case. Sometimes you just capture them and throw them in a little little thing for sacrifice. Yeah, it could be them against the environment rather than them against another group of people. Okay. You know, sometimes it's trying to survive the environment. Some, sometimes the tribalism is humanoids versus monsters. Uh, and that could be a fun storytelling uh, expression. All right, let's jump into some other ones really quick. Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm looking at a list and being like, man, I've used that word once in my life. Uh, so let's do, let's do our, our classic democracy, right? Um, so democracy as the classically defined, not the democratic republic, but just a straight democracy where everyone gets a vote. Okay. I got that. You got that? All right. Fill us in. Yeah. Basically, uh, how it works is a bunch of people get together. They all say, hey, let's vote on who should be in charge or like majority rules or which group of people is going to be in charge. And then they just kind of roll with it um, in a sense of a true democracy, in which case that leaves a whoever is not the majority kind of upset. But it's fine because they can vote on it again later. That's true. That's true. Um, I think that's an apt description, uh, for the most part. Now, what are some positives to this? What, what, what are our virtues that we like to, to call out for our democracy? Not, sorry, I shouldn't say our democracy, just democracy. Everybody gets a vote! Okay, that's, that's number one, right? Everyone gets their, their fair share. What else? Uh, also transition of power is pretty peaceful as well. Um, just because, you know, there is like some sort of order or mechanism from, you know, one person being elected to the next one. That's a good one. So uh, Paradox brings up a great question with this, which I will kind of throw under cons in a second, Paradox. Um, yes. But I do want to throw in there that there is no necessarily uh, transition of power in a true democracy because there is no technical leaders. Everyone gets the same equal vote. Um, mm. But that being the case, if there's a tie, they have to vote again until there isn't a tie. Um, and the majority is always going to be the winner, right? So yep. the, the vote can a hundred percent be decided by a single person without them knowing it. Um, so yeah. story-wise positive negatives, where are you guys at on this? You want some negatives? I have some fantastic negatives because nobody uh, ever right. wants to talk about that. Let's, uh, let's talk about negatives for a little bit, but I, I really want it in story here. So what from okay. a storytelling perspective? So from a storytelling perspective, you have a group of people. They all have this idea that is that what they're doing is the right and just thing. However, it will put a smaller group of people into great peril, but they don't care because they're the majority. And so we're going to vote to enslave these people, and they are going to suffer under our rule for the next thousand years because that's our vote. And now they don't have a vote because this is the democracy and the majority ruled that they don't get votes. Right, so like lack of balances, which again in a storytelling can be great, right? Because again, people generally do what's best for them and for as many people as possible. But what's good for some people is going to be bad. Fighting off a goblin horde, not great for the city you're defending. Not so great for the goblin horde you just eradicated. <laughs> Paradox says, "Is the story he's telling based on history books? Look, look, we're we're not putting any names or faces on things, but I, I can one hundred percent tell you, younger is speaking out of history books right now." I'm sorry, my bad. Oops. <laughs> it's okay. That's part of the elements of realism. I thought we're good. In no, 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 not allowed. It's all got to be flowers and sunshine. Dang it. Um. So, but uh, we talked about the negatives. Is there any other negatives to just ha- everyone having a vote? 
in terms of like decision making as well because you're waiting for a consensus across everyone it could be like a slow decision making process as well as opposed to just one leader saying hey this is what we're doing this is how it's going i i agree and in a storytelling basis that could really like determine the difference between heroes getting the help that they need and winning a battle or losing terribly because they were waiting yeah. for the old man in the office to t take off work so he could go vote Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, again, storytelling wise, both of those make for great stories, both the positives and the negatives. Um, let's let's jump to another one. Uh, you talked about an oligarchy, right? Which is a small governing body that is uh, oligarchy above everyone else. They don't necessarily have to be uh, rich or anything like that. They pretty they much have to be rich, generally, or have power. They either have to be rich or have power. There's there's no they have to. That's like a part of it. Is it? Yeah. yeah. That's like that's like the part of it. That's like what gives them power is the fact that they have like some specific resource that puts them into that position, and or they have a mass amount of wealth and other people don't. Okay, so that that hundred percent. And it's generally, a relatively generally, small group. Yep. You know, maybe so I actually I'm not gonna classic classical definition, right? These people may or may not be distinguished by one or several characteristics such as nobility, fame, wealth, education, corporation, religious, political, or military control. So they don't necessarily have to take it. Because, again, depending on the type of government, they could have been voted into those spots or they could have, you know, if they're nobility-based, they could have been born into those spots or adopted or whatever, right? But generally, you're right. They have one or more of those power points that they are in control of a large amount of power that they can wield. I have a fantastic, it's not necessarily often viewed as a government, but like, let's be real, it's usually part of a government. Um, even if it's not technically like of a world government, it's still a government, like you still have like a business government layout, right? And so an oligarchy, um, I think one of the best ways it could be templated to like the common person would be like, um, maybe it's a mercenary and or paramilitary group that you know works within an overarching society you know and they collected money from getting their bounties checked you know and doing x jobs for whichever side pays more so on and so forth they take a little bit of gold from over here they take a little bit of gold from over here they may or may not have political alliances with a particular nation or like maybe they just go forever who is the highest better but uh, a mercenary warlord something to that effect okay those would fall under the states of the oligarchy totally i i agree now so now that we got a pretty good definition what are some positive ideas to throw in storytelling wise for this like uh what do you, what do you what are you thinking that would be good bad ugly well, let's do good bad we'll get ugly in a second i think it's good because i like goblins uh Goblin Warlord Tribe uh, is joins a side of the fight, depending on whoever, uh, whichever country pays them more to go uh, slaughter the other side. Okay. Um, I or, think. Hold on, hold on. Or you have uh, like your your guys are looking for extra money, and they they're going to uh, be hired by the adventuring guild. Um, you know, or some mercenary faction to go uh, maintain, like, the roads or something. Keep bandits off. Goblins. Other pests. Other pests. All right, Anna, what about you? Yeah, I was going to say, this might be a little bit outside of a storytelling perspective, but 
you know, with like a smaller group of people being in charge, it does allow for more efficient decision making as opposed to a democracy. And then also um, with that, they're kind of known as like, call them like subject matter experts, whether they're like in that position for the right reasons or not, but they're really looked up to as these uh, group of leaders who are supposed to have expertise and knowledge in whatever they're um, voting in or ruling in. So. so I have a question before we get to the negatives of these things. Would you give your group or, you know, for your TTRPG, would you make them an oligarchy in your stories? Could you? Was that something you would explore or think would be interesting to run with? Or is it just a, just a personal opinion? Would we make the players into oligarchs? Yes. Is that the question? More or less. I mean, generally, I would say if most people are players, I don't, I don't perceive them as going through specifically an oligarchy, but I could see it potentially happening. Um, I feel like they could be much more easily coerced into joining an oligarchy without realizing it's an oligarchy because it's facaded as something else. Mm, the Illuminati approach. <laughs> I don't believe that's on the list of uh, governments. Just uh, uh, Yeah, officially, no. No, no way. You're uh, definitely demonetized now. And if you were to tell a story... Uh, would you include your main group in any of that, or would you only have it as an antagonistic force? Oh, um, I feel like, I don't know. It'd be hard because I feel like it would, again, if I were to create like an oligarchy, right? I think one of the things that was mentioned before is like, well, we don't know why they're necessarily in there. Like, is it because of nobility or like, are they in it for the right reason? So again, I don't know from a storytelling perspective, like the ins and outs of it, but um, you know, if there is a way to ensure like, okay, they are in it for the right reasons and they're actually there for, like they're a trusted resource for stability and knowledge and expertise, then, you know, that could be a factor. And that's just something I think about like of leadership in general, right? Which I think is important too. Um, kind of consider and whatnot. So, so paradox brings up a really good uh, system that basically has this baked into their systems, and that's uh, vampires the masquerade. Oh, okay, cool. uh, their yeah. uh, their systems that they have there are very much uh, can have or are some kind of oligarchy style of things because you know vampires <laughs> run the night kind of thing. Um, so if yeah, you're yeah. one of those characters, you're basically in the that's fantastic. Party. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, is, it's good stuff. That is the perfect fantasy version of that is oh i'm on the werewolf team oh no i'm on the vampire team i'm just a human trying to survive here in look transylvania like, look real quick uh in vampire the masquerade the humans are nothing but flesh bags and you just have to realize this uh <laughs> they're on the they're, they're in the feudal system they're in peasantry got it check uh, basically all right so uh Another great one from Lawrence here. Uh, he talked about theocracies, right? Which are the religious controlled Ooh. governments. Um, and he talks about it being a, a pro anti-demon, anti-cult style campaign would uh, benefit really well from having a theocracy to follow. Um, what, are, what are some pros storytelling wise from having a religious ran uh, system in your guys' games? Oh, I got one. You can create a bunch of fake religions and describe how their practices are uh, on any form of the moral spectrum, and none of it's real. So you don't have to worry about anybody getting offended. Ah, that's that's a that's an interesting way to put it. I mean, I feel like that's just TTRPGs in general. If you're getting offended by fake things uh, in your imagination, like 
calm down. Yeah, I think another thing as well, and this is similar to tribalism, like having spiritual guidance is a brand or an identity in itself. So that's like a way in which people can identify with a specific culture or a spe specific way of thinking and going about things. Okay. I think you guys missed the obvious one is that you're correct. You're following your God, right? The Your God has dictated that this is what you're supposed I'm to be doing. I'm obviously right. Just. You cannot be an evil group if the God is telling you what to do, right? Uh, False. <laughs> False. All right. So follow, fl flipping the, follow the God of slain people. Hey, hey, look, you're doing what you're supposed to. Um, Paradox also said world of darkness has several political systems among its supernaturals. So it's again, another good example to see kind of these in work. Um, jumping over to uh, the negatives. What are some negatives of the theocracy? Um, I, I'm um, going to start with this one, right? Uh, is okay. misinterpretation of divine signals, right? So you as players sometimes get to see that like something was read wrong or seen wrong or like the consequences of a reading of a thing is excessively negative, right? Um, or sometimes in the case of like cults and things like that, people follow evil intentions, right? Because in the TTRPG space, there's plenty of gods that aren't necessarily good guys, right? They, they are meant to be evil, and so their followers are evil and do evil things. Um, if there's an evil god, uh, Theocracy, they're just gonna, they're gonna murder people. It's gonna be bad, or whatever their god does, you know what I mean? Um, so, going to the negatives for you guys, what are, what are some negative elements that could be played off these guys? Okay, so I'm gonna start this off um, just blasting just blast them. Um, I've never heard of somebody in a game and or like anything like this that uses the word like the uh, like theology um, or what, what what is the technical technical name of this? Theocracy. Theocracy. I've never heard theocracy be used in a positive manner. Right. Um, not to say that it can't be, but I've never heard it said in that state. And it's usually like, oh, it's a super corrupt religious organization that uses the poor and blah 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 but it definitely could be templated in a much more like um i guess you could say beneficial way like maybe it's a bunch of like uh like clergy that specifically follow the god of light and they all they do is to try to like keep the darkness away and keep away the undead and banish the evil spirits you know like you could do that i just i when I hear the word theocracy, I generally get the more negative connotation of like, ah, ha, ha, it's a, uh, it's a play on like a, it's a corrupt Catholicism-like thing. Not saying that Catholicism is corrupt. I'm just saying that that's a way that people template that style. It's like the worst elements of any religious uh, organization are often put at the forefront of any open symbol. This is kind of an offshoot of that, but I think that's a really good question to ask. Like, in fantasy role-playing games and all that kind of stuff, do you think the the religious side of things is ex, uh, painted in a bad light way more than it is in a good one? I would say a lot of times, not not necessarily like within D&D &D itself, but like just like pop culture reference, you know? Just in general, pop culture references, general, like, religion is, like, almost taboo. Unless it's, like, uh, e even in, like, fake religions or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I think is silly, but, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Ann? Do you have an opinion on this one? 
Yeah, I do. I feel like uh, I definitely, again, I can't speak to more. I can't speak to like how it is in like fantasy games and whatnot, but just like the, the pop culture aspect. I think a lot of times that like, for example, like I'm, I'm Catholic, I'm, you know, of the faith and whatnot. And there are times where, um, you know, not only is it sometimes in a bad light, but sometimes it's just like pushed to the side. So when you're thinking about like, corporate America, for example, like it's just something it's hush hush, we don't talk about even though it's, it's an extraordinary amount of people who are of the faith in general, whether they're Christian, Catholic, things like that. Um, you know, which is interesting. But then I think also, it's like, you know, sometimes it's focused on some of the more negative things, if you will, like, for example, oh, well, people are like too nice for their own good, or oh, you know, they have these strict rules and reasons for doing things, and we don't understand why. So I think there's, um, there's definitely um, a bad light. But I think, you know, in pop culture, again, I only speak to this, but um, and, and again, I don't know how much this translates to like fantasy and whatnot, but I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, people have to do, whether they're, you know, like of the faith, right? Like of people of the faith is start to like change that script, change that story and not by forcing their faith. That's why people don't like it is because people try to force their faith. Like, well, you need to do this. You need to do that. But it's more so, hey, like, how can we just demonstrate these virtues and values of like love, patience, kindness? And I think the more that change the script to that, that's when, you know, I, I think paradigm shifts will start to happen, which again, that's something that's going to be slower and things like that, just because you have so many people on different sides of the spectrum when it comes to religion and just Catholics are sometimes like people of the faith can be like, super of the faith to the point where <laughs> very like it no really it is it's it's very um oh, oh trust me it, trust it's me settling and just like we, we know. not it's like oh wait <laughs> that's that's not that's not what that's not what we practice that's not what we do like that's taken way out of context kind of thing so again i know I, wonder, I, I actually uh this reminded me greatly of something specifically that's specifically for D D, um which kind of goes into like the uh the lanes of not only theology, mostly theology, but also some of the other governance systems. And that is uh, the class paladin. Uh, all of your oaths are based off of like, basically like swearing loyalty to some oath of conduct, whether it be that uh, in service to a religious deity, whether it be good or bad, or you broke your oath entirely and now you have like different uh, set of circumstances, but I think that a lot of it ties directly into theology just with the base class. Yeah. I, I agree. This is where I need Rook. I, oh, need, I need him to talk about Paladins. Sorry, the, the, other, the other Catholic in the room here. Uh, no, but I, I, uh, I agree. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, on both of that, the, the Paladin is uh, jokingly called the religious trauma class amongst D&D people and other TTRPG people. Uh, even though clerics exist, even though whatever. literally clerics are actual priests that that's that's besides the point uh you cannot the righteous class gets to be the trauma boy and that's okay it, it makes me giggle every time i hear that term um but uh not to get too far into it i think i think that that you're right you know and that uh if you are to wanting to switch the paradigm right 
you got to start with showing the showcasing the gentle side of things and like uh, as a response to storytellers, right? Uh, that is one of our jobs that we need to work on to tell the gentler side, though. It's not always there in everything mm-hmm. throwing it in there more often than it isn't, uh, should be done more often. I think a great example in pop culture, uh, is there's a nun in red, red, uh, red dead redemption Two that, uh, follows the main character around for a little bit. She's not like someone that interacts with them in the story, but she's like in cutscenes and stuff like that. He finds her, does missions for her, things like that. Uh, and she, like Anne said, doesn't really push anything on him. She's just there and is kind for him. You know, the, the epitome of what a nun is supposed to be, right? Um, I think that's a fantastic example that's soft and easy to digest for most people. Um, so, I, I think You think good. nuns aren't mean old ladies? They can be, dang it. Uh, but all the ones or I turn into fantastic. Horrible witch monster people in witch scary movies. <laughs> Ah, yeah, the conjuring. I'm just saying, I'm just hitting on the head, you know, like they they paint the the religious thing as a bad thing, whether it is or not. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. So, uh, I think we can go on to the next. Yep, moving on. All right. uh, So, we kind of talked about imperialism when we talked about feudalism because those two are are relatively close. Um, There's just like feudalism is a smaller version of imperialism uh, or vice versa. Um, same thing, colonialism, federations, federations are weird. Um, we talked about totalitarianism, whatever, I can't say it. Totalitarianism? Thank you. Uh, it's basically, it's basically all, anything that's like dictator-like, total control. It can be multiple, it can be a monarchy, it can be a dictatorship. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to plug on three more. That are hot ones. So just be prepared. For oh no! On this one. Oh no! He's gonna say the S word. Socialism. No, I wasn't even gonna start with that one. Um, <laughs> but socialism is a is a interesting one, especially to throw in a TTRPG, um, because generally the the point of socialism is making sure everyone's needs are met. Um, whereas in TTRPGs, you can have a world that has complete resource freedom. Right? There's no need for the there to be hungry. Because uh, they they have a plentiful resources, right? Also, I need generally... beggars for backstories. I disagree. <laughs> okay, so um, with that being said, I, what's what's some positive throwing in a socialistic government in a world that doesn't necessarily have a lot of it? Like, let's say you're using it as an outlier. You see, I have a problem having grown up in the United States. Um, where I haven't had a complete government that is just straight socialism, but has socialism tendencies. So I don't know in truth what it would be. Um, from what I understand, there's supposed to be levels of planning and to effectively produce and distribute the goods, right? From the government themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for a more, uh, trying to remember the word, it begins with an E. Like, not even distribution, but, like, if somebody needs more for whatever, they get more. And if somebody needs less, they get less. Equitable. Yes. Right? That's the right word. And so, um, and that people all do their part within the society. So, like, everybody does whatever this uh, their thing is. I guess, I guess kind of, um, if anybody's ever played a game like Fallout, like the whole Overlord system or... Uh, I don't remember what they're called. I think they're called Overlords. Are you talking about the the mobile game where you, like, move the people around the rooms and whatnot? I mean, I'm talking about the actual game that Bethesda made. Not just the tiny one, but yes, that one. The (laughs) Overseer. 
The yes. overseer literally like uh, basically like people do a test and it's like, oh, you're good at mechanics. So guess what? We need a mechanic on aisle three. He's going to do that. And oh, we need a garbage man. So the next person who's the lowest on our score of people is going to go become a garbage man. And then the next guy, um, the, the I guess you could say the real problem with it is when there is people of extreme high intelligence, they have, um, they will be placed at like the more difficult jobs than necessarily like in regards to thinking and people who are less smart will be put into places where they can still effectively work and manage things. Um, it's just different. One might be picking up heavy objects every day. And it's kind of hard to distribute labor uh, evenly across society that has people who work at desks and people who work in coal mines. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you off so Ann can talk here for a minute. Bad. You're good. No, you're good. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely like this sense of equality, right? Like making sure that everyone's kind of on the same playing level playing field. And I think with that, it comes with um, making sure that everyone has like the basic necessities, right? Like, hey, is everyone covered? Are we all good here? Like that kind of thing. So definitely could see that, you know, as a pro, um, you know, especially, you know, if you are you know, whether you're struggling or you're not struggling, it, that's not going to have to be a worry, right? Of like, hey, if is what I'm getting good and is it covered? So that's why I would say is a strong pro as well. So I think for a pro for storytelling, right, is you then lose a lot of the negative elements of society. You don't have children starving. You don't have people that are sick and dying. Yeah. Again, going back yeah. to the TTRPG, Paradox brings up some great questions like, if there's food that's grown in plethora, why are people starving? If there's magic that heals people, why are people sick? Uh, and I think having a society that focused on those questions and answered them with, they don't have to. Uh, would be interesting to see, you know what I mean? And to see just, like, player reaction, especially if they're from somewhere, like, that had starving kids or lots of sick people to see the difference. Uh, could be really interesting, right? Yeah. The, uh, the cool element is that it is fantasy, and so even things that don't work can work in its setting. Right. Well, Because and, and, you can eliminate the human element, place them with dwarves. <laughs> um, place them. Nice, I like that. <laughs> um so the downside to this, though, and I'm, I'm going to cut uh, us off because we don't have a ton of time left and I got a couple more things to cover, um, is could be that uh, it doesn't allow for a lot of excess bonus or pleasure or whatever you want to call it. So if you start to succeed really well, you get cut down and your stuff mm -hmm. that is extra gets taken from you. And no one, no one likes that. And from a storytelling standpoint, you might... Uh, see that happen to your friends and like they're just starting to succeed stuff starting to go good and then they're back to being just above the poverty line kind of thing having just were you ever in the army and you had to do more work than the other guy who got paid just as much as you but he was a shit bag it'd be like that's socialism um <laughs> it says a proper society ran by a major skill can make a perfect society you know what? i'm not gonna argue that uh you could be right. Yeah. Magic would solve a lot of problems. Yeah. If, um, if there were so, mages in real life, I feel like this could be a potential thing. All right. We're going to we're gonna go on to our other two hot topics, and they're kind of going to touch on each other because they're very, very opposites. So the first one uh, is fascism, right, which is a style of government which lines everyone up and makes sure there's a standard across the board that is followed by everyone, right? The outliers of the group uh, are either dispatched or removed. Right? That's fascism in the simplest sense. Um, with that, we're going to ask some hard questions here. What are some pros and what are some negatives? 
So, with the pros, uh, just one thing. We're, we're gonna keep this fast. We're gonna have to be a doubles right advocate. Yeah. Okay. Um. Okay. Looking uh, potentially through a historical trend, uh, there uh, can be a lot of improvements in the group that is um, approved of within that society. You might get a uh, a well intricate railway system or other transportation system or a series of roads that are built in an effective, uh, well-timed manner that can effectively distribute goods throughout your country in a short amount of time or uh, wartime vehicles. Um, you can be able to expedite uh, medical technology um, at a rapid pace uh, by using questionable test subjects you can um what are some other things oh you you can uh you can go and build things faster and better you're like oh i need more rockets i, I need i need something to fly and hit over there way better and so it uh heightens the uh level of how frequently you it's like it gives power of production kind of sort of like entwined with the government and so they're able to effectively like uh increase the ability of uh, scientific development whether that be for good reasons or for i'm gonna go commit war crimes um so war crimes aside uh, and do you have any positives that you might see from uh, fascistic uh storytelling uh no i think you guys covered it i think you guys covered it so i think there's one that we kind of missed is the uh kind of goes back to the tribalism um when everyone looks the same and has the same standards to meet uh, knowing who the out group is is really easy. You know what I mean? If they don't look like me, we know who's a, a, against me. Now, that obviously can also be a very negative connotation, right? Uh, so let's go into the negatives of, of fascism. As I forgot the best story, part. Story the best good part. Uh oh. What's the best good part before we get to the negatives? Uh, the best good part is that it, uh, even though it has an extreme amount of exclusion, it uh, it's very inclusive with its specific group. That's true. So it's good to the people who benefit from the system. It's bad to everybody else. Okay. That's, I mean, yeah. that's a really good con to start with. You know what I mean? If you're in the out group for storytelling-wise, you have an instant bag. You're in trouble. Guaranteed. Somebody's um, kicking down your door, pulling you out of an attic. Yeah. All that bad. Um, any other that isn't the apparent that fascists make really easy bad guys? Is there something else that like that is bad that we can talk about that is for the system itself? What are things that are bad? Just, there are lots of things that are I, bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. We know that. But just like specifically storytelling wise, uh, is there anything that like stinks, sticks out that is like, this is also bad that we haven't really talked about or think about generally? Um, well, it's kind of like along that same line. It really depends on like which side of the token you're on, right? So... Mm. If you are um, not underneath that country's flag or whatever, um, and you're not in an alliance with that country's flag, like you are not only an outsider, but maybe persecuted. Okay. Um, Paradox says the best part is everyone's outfit matches. The worst part is everyone outfit matches. And, uh, I kind of I agree, I kinda, I agree with that one. That's a that's a that's good. I like that. Uh, you know, as, yeah. as much as they are uh, jerk holes, uh, they they fashion fashion in the fascist goes together really well for some reason. They look sharp. I'll say that now we're definitely demonetized. Uh, right. That's why this is why I don't wear the suit. Just kidding. 
Shut up, Yager. All right, so, uh, ba -ba -ba -ba, your country will be sanctioned. <laughs> Enough of that, Lawrence. You're a goose. All right, uh, moving on to the last one. And this is uh, not necessarily controversial, uh, but it is uh, a hot button. Uh, anarchy, right? The lack thereof of a government. Where everyone is their own man in charge of uh, what they must do. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I'd like to hit on... Nobody ever talks about Sure. Um, do it. So, whenever anybody says anarchy, the first thing they think of is essentially, like, everybody going around murdering each other, like the that one particular movie, like, oh, you get one day a year where you can just go kill anybody or whatever. Mm -hmm. The Purge? I think yep, that's what it's yep, called? Yep, yep, yep. Everybody purge. imagines, like, oh, anarchy's the Purge, when in reality, it's like, okay, like, if you don't do anything crazy, nobody else is going to do anything crazy until a bunch of people get together and they decide that they're going to start doing some crazy stuff. And so it's generally more like the Wild West, where it's like, if I got a gun, maybe you won't mess with me because I'll shoot you. Um, and maybe we can just go and trade rice and beans and nobody has to shoot a gun at all. And it's just like, general, like, levels of respect. Whereas, like, everybody portrays it as like, oh, it's the end of the world, but it's like, Every time that there's been like a regime change, there's generally like been like a period of anarchy. Right. Yep. 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 That's a, that's a that's a good way to think about it. And what do you think? What what are, what are your thoughts here? Um, again, to kind of push, um, push forward in time, let's get some positive and negatives all in the same breath. Yeah, I think that um, there's definitely a decentralization of power, right? Like everyone's kind of doing their own thing. There's not as much of um, socioeconomic statuses where, you know, people are divided into small, medium, or not small, medium, like low, mid, and high classes. Um, but I think with that, because everyone's kind of doing their own thing, there's no, there's no sense of structure or order. So it's like, what are you actually moving forward towards? Like, what is your actual purpose and direction? That's something that I talk a lot about in like stress and burnout coaching is like, you have to have like some sort of North star, you have to have some sort of direction so that the activities that you do, you feel more focused, lasered, goal oriented toward them. So now I positive think and negative. I think I think that uh, wraps it up into my next question quickly. Sorry, I'm going to cut you off because we're we're on. Oh, I, I got something so good. Okay, I'll let you say. It. You got time. We'll go over a little bit. Okay. So I think that the the appearance, especially within a TTRPG or literally within any society, is whenever there is a state of anarchy, um, the next heads of states need to come up. Does it have to be the same state? No. Maybe there was a religious theology. Right, that was uh, the, intertwined the within the government or outside of it, and so people go and turn more towards their religion and then towards their religious leaders. Or you have people who were once wealthy and might still have paramilitary power within the previous society, and they are now no longer nobility; they are now oligarchs because they hold their own independent states of wealth and/or power. And so things can be moved around you know like oh it's when that one big thing came down there were still all these smaller pillars that were stationed around and they might fight for power or they might intertwine and create a new greater power who knows whatever things happen it's not like government has ever fallen before and risen again or tyranny so on so forth i don't know i'm just saying i don't know how many um independent holidays there are for when a uh, country became independent from Britain. But I'm it's sure like, it's a lot. It's like 270 at this point, yo. 
It's a bit. And they're all on different days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, a third of the year is just happy not under British rule anymore. Uh, but that's besides the point. Um, I think that I think that covers it really well. From a storytelling perspective, that anarchy could really serve as a really good base template for, like, the start of something new or the fall of something old, right? Or hit that transition period really well. I think, I think your thought on it covers that excessively well. Um, we got some more comments over here from Lawrence and... Uh, proxy. Uh, I hope I'm getting. Uh, I hope I get uh, getting cheers. Uh, they're, they're, they're arguing, arguing uh, all kinds of fun stuff in the, the comments over here. I kind of like it. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna let them keep talking though and move on. So uh, now we get to do some final questions and do our wrap up bit uh, with Anne here. And I'm gonna fire off like five questions are you, at you. Are you ready? Okay. So the yes. first question is. Uh, in relating to stress and burnout, what do you think the worst government to work under would be? Yes. Um, you can be brutally honest here. No one's going to judge you. The government spies are already embedded in the server. They'll report you as necessary. <laughs> oh, that's hard. Um, I wouldn't relate it to like stress and burnout coaching. But again, I think this goes back to what I was just saying a little bit earlier of like, it, it is really important to have some sort of um, direction one. Um, so, and then also community, right? Uh, when you're, when you know kind of like what your purpose is, what your direction is, and you know how to move forward, again, you're going to be really laser focused in your goals. And then if you have a community that's kind of around you to support you where you don't feel as if you're alone, that you're actually moving towards something, whether in nature, it might be good or not. Right. Um, that's, that's another topic for another day kind of thing. Um, but again, having some sort of direction and connection and community is really important. So if I had to choose one, that's like, I wouldn't go toward it actually would be anarchy. Okay, interesting. I, I like that. that the, la the lack of having the ability to conduct your job would cause a problem. Okay. Yeah. And on the same vein, um, where mm -hmm. where would the where would the best one to be? What, what's your opinion? What do you think would cause the least amount of stress and burnout? In an idealistic setting, we'll say. Yeah, idealistic. Um, to be honest, I like the I, I like the idea of um, like an oligarchy because it's kind of a combination of you do have some leaders, but it's not just one leader, right? You have people in the room who are still making that decision, but they can bounce perspectives and ideas off of one another in order to make a consensus and decision that would be best for the community. Where when you're looking from like a leadership perspective and how to follow something. Um, I, I would say that's kind of that healthy mix without it being like too many people in the room, but then not just only like one person in the room as well. Okay. So. That's an interesting answer. All right. Um, um, let's see here. Uh, what is your company motto? Hmm. Mine is appreciate the past and focus on the present to take, to change the future. So, really understanding like how your past has impacted you both, you know, um, is seeing it in a very healthy way, being grateful for the things that you've learned. And rather than worrying about the future so much, how can you change what you're doing in your day to day in order to 
make changes down the line to become that better version of you. You can't just wish for a future and a better future of um, who you want or who you want to become, right? It's how you actually pull that back and do that in your day to day. Okay. That's, that's one hell of a motto. Uh, ours is you control the board. We, we, uh, we control the board. You control the action. So you got, you got to be on the board. <laughs> on that, on that um, so uh, people are in control of their actions. So that's, that's important too. <laughs> so um, if you were to play a TTRPG, do you have any that you would like to in the future? Do you have any idea of any of the ones that are out there? That kind of thing? Mm. To be honest, I don't. To be honest, I don't. But if you like, tell me some of them, I can uh, probably give an option. <laughs> you, fell, you, fell, you fell for the trap. You heard her. We got to get her hooked. Someone get her in an RPG stat. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll talk about that afterwards. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, last okay. question uh, that isn't uh, pitchy bits for you. Um, what is your favorite melee weapon? Melee weapons? If you were going to hurt somebody with a physical object that you wield in your hands, what would it be? A battle axe? A hammer? A sword? What you doing? How are you marking these vampires? If I was like strong enough, I feel like a ball and chain would be super fun. Just kind of like yeah, kick someone's butt. All right, that's that's a great answer. I don't think we've heard that one yet. That's a fun one. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Um, so I'm going to give you a couple minutes here to kind of plug anything you need to plug, whatever you want to talk about. You, it, The floor is yours for the next couple minutes, uh, and then we'll do our wrap-up thing. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, well, like I said before, I work in stress and burnout coaching, so really helping um, people find connection, regain balance, and relieve stress. And, you know, a lot of people who are in the D&D space or even they're trying to connect and manage with people, I think oftentimes some of the things is, okay, how do I actually balance my time, right? How do I actually um, be able to listen to what people are saying and put it into action? And how do I actually create that strategy, direction, purpose, not only for myself, but for others as well? So um, that's kind of what I work on with folks is really identifying like what their purpose is, what their strengths are, maybe some areas in which they need to um, improve, if you will. I call them tendencies, not weaknesses. I call them tendencies. And then how can we actually start marching toward that in a very strategic way? So if that's something that you know sounds interesting to you or you're like, hey, you know what? I want to learn more. There are two ways you can do that. Um, you can go to my website, www.summersolstice, S-O-U-L-S-T-I-C-E, coach.com. And then I also have a Facebook group. It's called the Soothing Stress Collective. That way you get a little bit of a taste of what I do. I would love to find some time to book a call if you are interested in stress and burnout coaching. Or if you're like, hey, you know what? I feel really stuck. I really feel disconnected. I feel like I'm just a bag drifting through the wind. Like We'll actually um, work together to um, create some sort of strategy and direction for you based on what your passions, your purpose, and your motivations are. So. And I'll drop them in the chat too for the um, for the website and stuff like that. Yep. So and we'll, and we'll post them with the podcast when it gets posted, so there'll be links there. Well, awesome. Yeah, that's that's basically it. So all right. Well, thank you so much for having me. Of course, I was going to say stick around. We're actually going to throw you in the Hall of Heroes to do a little conversation post uh, post thing. Uh, but before then, for us, we have an event tomorrow. We'll be in Esther, Alaska. 
uh, doing our thing, playing games, all that fun stuff, uh, selling dice. We got some really cool Pokeballs. If those of you that aren't in the Discord have seen them, they're great. We're using them as dice-carrying upgrades. They're fantastic, and they even come with a little toy. Um, if you got kids, you know, perfect reason to give, give your kid a Pokeball with a Pokeball toy. Yes. And carry your dice if you need an excuse for the wife, it's for the kids. Wink, wink, smiley face. Um, so, other things. Uh, I know it's not quite the first yet, but I'm going to give next month's code ahead of time just because our next thing won't be till the 14th. Um, I take that back. Next thing is going to be next week with our D&D stuff and Lancer stuff. But uh, for now, uh, this next month's code, so July, uh, is going to be Firework 907. Firework 907. No S, just a single firework, one little explosion. Capital F, lowercase everything else, Firework907. That'll get you 10% off on basically everything on the website. Um, other than that, you agree? You got anything else we got to announce? No, I mean, you already mentioned the Pokeballs. I lost my chance. I'm sorry. Um, oh, RP Craft. Uh, so we got to give a quick shout out to our friends at RP Craft. Uh, they finished their Kickstarter as of yesterday, I believe. Uh, they finished with 980 backers for their Kickstarter, so like they did a fantastic job. They uh, did like 500% of their original goal, so uh, they destroyed all of their stretch goals. So for those of you that came from our audience that backed them, thank you so much. Uh, they thoroughly appreciate it. Um, and I can't wait to see their book. It's going to be super exciting. Um, other than that, that's, that's all I got. That's, uh, that's it till, uh, till next week. Wednesday uh, D&D, Thursday Lancer. And one more time, thank you so much for being here. Uh, and if you could dip out and head to the Hall of Heroes, we'll talk a little bit more uh, offline. All right. And anyway, with Adventure in Mind, have a wonderful night. Bye. Well, 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 that's the end of it all. I hope you guys enjoyed. Again, the code for July, since it's the 30th and will be the first shortly, uh, is Firework907, capital R, lowercase everything else, 907. Anyway, with the adventure in mind, have a wonderful night. Bye.